Till I'm Tiptoed You Dot com The podcast about pop culture Black history and spirituality Yeah It's about to be a great vibe Dr. Tip Gonna take it away Till I'm Tiptoed You Hey, thank you for joining me for another edition of Tell Em Tip Told You. Happy New Year. I haven't spoken to you in January yet. You know, charge it to my head and not my heart. Happy New Year. Happy 2021. We have some good things happening (laughs) collectively, and I wish you the very best of this year. 2020 really did come to give us vision, and some of that vision didn't feel so good. Um, but it was necessary vision. And I'm, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to talk about that in this episode, about what we're supposed to do with the, the visions um, we saw manifest in 2020. I also want to talk about um, what this current climate in U.S. political culture is for Black folk and what I think we need to be doing about it. Um, and then, you know, we'll just take it from there. Those are the two major things I want to talk about. So let's start with the 2020 came to give us vision. I am very clear that, um, you know, this season, this past season, this past year was really about helping us see the things that we would rather not see. Like for some people who wanted to say that systemic, systematic, and you know, I prefer systematic racism didn't exist. I mean, the wool got pulled away. Like you can no longer deny um, evidence of white privilege, of oppression, of um, systematic oppression, so on and so forth. It can't be denied unless you just really are one of these people who lives in conspiracy theory land. Um, So that was pulled away. Um, The illusion of the permanence of life many of us had to face, starting with the death Uh, the transition of Kobe Bryant and his daughter. A lot of us were made to face our own mortality in some ways that we perhaps had not done before. COVID came to rip away any illusions we had about American exceptionalism. I hope you still didn't hold those, but, you know, just in case you did. A lot of stuff just got turned over. And, And when I say turned over, I mean like you turn over the soil, um, when you're ready to plant things, um, it, it just got tilled up. And if you know anything about a garden, after you turn the soil, it looks disrupted, right? And many of us felt that disruption, particularly around the end of 2020. Um, and so because 2021 has already introduced to us some deaths, like the transition of Hank Aaron from my hometown, who moved into my state of residence now, um, Mobile to Georgia, there, um, it, there is a fear that some of us have that 2021 is going to be more of 2020. I don't think so. I think what 2021 is coming to do is to make us, for lack of better words, shit or get off the pot. Right. I think 2020 came to show us some things and 2021 is coming to ask us, now what are you going to do with what you've been shown? Right. So, for example, a lot of us 
are increasingly frustrated by U.S. politics, then the question becomes, are you going to sit in it and feel that frustration for the rest of your life? Or are you going to become engaged in it so that it changes fundamentally? Are you so frustrated in your relationships that you sit there and you take it? Or are you now moved to action? Are you so frustrated by your economic Um, circumstances that you've resigned to the fact that this is how things will be? Or are you motivated to try to do things differently? And I think I'm not going to say what the right answers to any of those things are. I'm just going to say that we can't stay where we are. Like, that's not the job. 2020 came to show us this ain't it, chief. (laughs) How we've been living collectively, that's not it. How some of us had been living individually, that's not really it. And so um, 2021 is asking the question, now what? For many of us, we're getting the now what? And it can be quite intimidating. Like if I'm honest with myself, I'm intimidated by the now what? But I do know that I was frustrated enough with the vision from 2020 that I'm not okay just staying stagnant. You know, I was having a conversation with Brandon and he's coming back, um, but we were having a conversation about resignation the other day. And I think resignation is one of the most dangerous emotions or uh, mental positions that we can put ourselves in. Right. When we resignate to or resign to our, our current circumstances being our only circumstances, when we resign to things like the NCAA. Okay, let me give you the example that Brandon and I were talking about. So the NCAA, for those of us who work in, in, in um, the university setting or people who are really into sports, they know this probably better than the layperson who doesn't really pay attention. But the NCAA is, uh, is an institution of privilege, right? If, so if you're one of these moneyed PWIs, your experience of the organization and the institution is much different than if you are at one of these smaller HBCUs that doesn't really have the money to invest in athletics. Um, what you're, The standard you're held to is more easily achieved if you have a bigger endowment at the university. I mean, that's just how it is. And so for a long time, many HBCUs have just resigned to the fact that if we want sports on campus, we have to have this working relationship with the NCAA. If we want to be accredited, then we have to be accredited by SAC COC. If we want this position, then it has to be given to us by this company, so on and so forth. So these are the attitudes, the resignation that we sometimes feel in our daily lives that this is the way things have been. And because this is the way things have been, this is the way things have to be. And the beautiful thing that's happening now, I believe, is that 2020 came to give us a vision and 2021 is asking us now what? And I think some of us are now being allowed to dream differently. Right. We're now no longer resigned to the fact that this shit works, that this thing that we've invested in is actually working. And because it's not working anymore, um, what do we do? Are we willing to move away from what we had once um, believed to be our only opportunity to moving towards a greater understanding that there is another kind of opportunity available to us? And I think that's so important. For us to really, um, you know, get into that, really see ourselves 
as um, having room to change and to grow and to do things differently. Like I, I, on the live this past week, if you t- tuned into IGTV, I talked about how our ancestors gave us the example. If these people had resigned themselves to enslavement being their only existence, we might still be in chains. Right. But it was about the imagination of someone like a Gabriel Prosser. It was about the imagination of someone like an Ellen Craft or the imagination of Bookman, uh, the imagination of Mackendall, the imagination of Harriet Tubman that allowed them to move beyond this is my current reality to actually imagining something greater for themselves and for other people, too. Right. And being willing to sacrifice of oneself to make that imagined thing come true. Like, that's where we are right now. And so I just wanted to, you know, to to give voice to that. Because I think a lot of us are feeling it, just from my conversations with some of my friends and my clients and stuff. I think a lot of us are feeling that now. Um, And we may not have given voice or language to it yet. So I just want to put that out there and, and, and have you reason through that a little bit more. Um, because I, I really do believe that right now it is time to make a change. And the other part, the point I want to make about making that change is one that I've been thinking about in my own life a lot lately. And that is if we want to develop personally, if we want to develop professionally, if we want to develop spiritually, all of that happens at the same time. Right. There is a myth that many of us have bought into, and that is that your personal life is separate and distinct from your professional life, when in reality, they are two sides of the same coin. And often what is happening in one space is necessarily shaping our experiences in the other space. And the problem has been heretofore that we are directing our attention to one of the spaces at a time rather than thinking about them being on a continuum and us needing to shape the continuum better than just developing one in one area or not. Here's what I mean. Let me give you an example. Time management, right? So many of us, because of the nature of our home lives and because we're working full-time jobs, we've got a relationship to try to sustain, we got children to raise, we got a hustle we're trying to, you know, protect, so on and so forth. Because of that, we may be looking at time management in our personal lives and forgetting to also look at time management when we're on somebody else's clock, Right. That the time management, my calendars have to be synced across my personal and my professional life. For example, on days that I teach face to face, I teach face to face and online right now. So on days that I teach face to face, that means I have an hour and a half commute both ways. That's three hours of my day already shot to hell. Right. So three hours of my day and then I'm on my feet for the rest of that time teaching. And then I come home and I got to do the after work of teaching after that hour and a half drive back home. Well, even though that is my professional life. When I'm looking at my personal calendar and trying to to arrange things, meetings, 
um, family time, just self-care time, I have to think about, am I going to feel like being obligated to another hour and a half of something after I've spent three hours on the road and four or five hours in the classroom, so on and so forth. And the reality is those things are connected. And the other part of that is, let's say I've been beefing with my boo, right? Then when I get to class the next day, I'm not going to really feel like giving my students my whole thing. So we often are trying to fix things in a vacuum without thinking about how they are related when it comes to our personal and professional lives. And some of us really are about professional development right now. So we got a business coach, we got a new um, trademark attorney, we got this going on. And I applaud that, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe in, a, in, in business ownership. So I applaud that. But if we're doing all of that, we also have to think about how our personal is affected and how our personal is affecting that. Some of you have a business coach when really what you need is a life coach, right? You already know how to build a funnel, how, what you need to do for an email list. You know what a tripwire is. You know what a lead page is. You, you know you know these things, but you haven't pulled the trigger. So your business coach really is not there for that. They're there for that when you're ready to do the work. But you may have some personal stuff that you've got to work through before it even makes sense to have the business coach because those two things are related. And some of us are out here trying to build businesses when, when we're raggedy, right? I'm not saying that you can't build a business while you're raggedy. I'm just saying I don't think that business will be as sustainable as it might be if you were fully happy, healthy, and whole. And so when we think about personal development, professional development, spiritual development, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we think of those things as isolated silos that really don't have anything to do with one another. I can tell you personally, if your spiritual stuff is janky, all of it's going to be janky. Right. If you ain't right with your spirits or you got some stuff going on spiritually that you need to clean up and you haven't cleaned up, then there are going to be some limitations both in your personal and your professional development. Right. So I just wanted to as we ask the, the now what question of 2021, I think um, as we answer that question, we have to be answering that question holistically like as a full person. And you will hear me say throughout the year that whatever decisions you make, whatever this is about, I think it should be centered in joy, right? I am learning more and more as I watch the world go round and I watch the things that, uh, that irritate other people about us. Almost chief among them is our creativity and joy. There is a lot of jealousy around our creativity and joy, and I want us to acknowledge those things as our superpowers. And so when we make decisions about, is this good for me? As we make decisions about this outfit, does it look right on me? As we make decisions about what kind of music am I about to listen to? What kind of food am I go going to eat? What, you know, am I going to work out today? That I think all of those decisions have to come from a place of joy. And that's not as easy as it sounds, right? Some of us... Um, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. Some of us make decisions from a place of fear, from a place of resentment, from a place of anger, you know, so on and so forth. When in reality, if we made them from a place of joy, I think it would be a more sound decision. 
I'm listening to Brene Brown's audiobook called The Power of Vulnerability right now. And she she talked about numbing. And I will tell anybody, I think I'm an emotional eater, right? Or I would have told anybody that before I encountered her work. I would have told you that I'm an emotional eater when I'm angry, frustrated, hurt. I turn to food for comfort. I would have told you that. But now, after her her treated, treating treatment, I'm sorry, her treatment of numbing, I understand that I'm not really looking for comfort in the food. What I'm looking for is something to distract me from whatever emotion I'm having. And a lot of that comes from living in a society that tells us we're not supposed to have emotions, which is one of my pet peeves. I'm not going to get on that right now. Believe me, it's coming, though. I think it deserves a whole podcast episode of the way people tell us not to feel. That I think emotions are a way of knowing Right. It's a epistemology. It's a way of knowing. It's a way of moving towards the through the world um, with a knowledge system that the West really doesn't understand. And because the West really doesn't understand it, we've developed this rhetoric around how it's not good. Right. Women shouldn't be in charge because they're too emotional or you made that decision out of emotion, so on and so forth. We act like emotions are something to run from. And we do run from them. Like um, a lot of us are self-medicated for a lot of different reasons. Um, But when we move away from the numbing so that we can fully feel what we feel and treat that feeling by getting to the root cause of the feeling, then I believe we can fix some stuff. How did I get on this subject? I don't even know. I don't even know, but I guess I wanted to tell you. So (laughs) it's what it is. Um, All right. So I wanted to say this about because we're about to enter into Black History Month. One of my favorite times of the year, Black History Month and Kwanzaa are probably two of my favorite times of the year. Black History Month. First, let me give you this. You will hear me say it. You have probably heard me say it. I will continue to say that Black History Month is not about learning about the history. You should have already been doing that, right? Black History 365. You should have already been learning. Black History Month is about the celebration of the accomplishments, right? So we learn all the time for those critics of Black History Month. Yes, we do learn all of the time. We should be learning all of the time. House Neville, during February, it is celebratory, right? We're really enjoying what it means to be Black, to have inherited this brilliance, to have inherited this promise, so on and so forth, right? And so um, I'm happy that we're about to enter into this period of Black History Month. So a couple of things that I've got going that I wanted to tell you about, number one is um, the book club is starting again. So, you know, we took a little break for the holidays and in between books, we should take breaks anyway, but we just... The first book we did was The Miseducation of the Negro by Carter G. Woodson. Um, The book we're doing in February, if you're on my email list, you probably have already gotten the email. If you're not on my email list, get on the email list 
at the website, www.tellemtiptoldyou.com, and I'll send out more information as we get close. But on February 3rd, we're going to have our first meeting of the book club where we'll just set the logistics and set the tone. You don't have to have read by February 3rd, but you probably want to go ahead and get the book um, called How We Get Free, Black Feminism and the Kumbai River Collective. I'll drop the name of the book and the author in the show notes. Um But I really want you guys to participate in that. I think it's a a wonderful time and opportunity to be thinking forward facing while considering the past. And so um, that's the book club that's coming up starting February 3rd. I also want to tell you that on February 15th, I'm opening, we'll start. Well, actually, the registration has opened Again, you need to be on my email list. But on um, February 15th, the first cohort of the Goddess Group Coaching Experience begins on February 15th. So if you've been thinking about life coaching, but you're not ready for a full investment of one-on-one, or if you're thinking about changing your life and you just want some accountability, not necessarily a life coaching experience, then this Goddess Group is designed to help us do that. We move through intentionally three weeks. Right. So together we move through three weeks, one for clarity, one for rituals and one for gratitude so that we can get a jump start on whatever we're trying to do. In this year. All right. So that you have a system of sisters who can help hold you accountable, so on and so forth. So the first cohort begins on February 15th, but the registration has already opened. All right. So make sure you're on my email list so you get information on that. What else did I want to talk to you about? Here's what I wanted to talk about, speaking of Black history, right? So we learn all the time. We celebrate in February. So since it's not February yet, I want to talk to you about something. I think it's very important to understand what happened on January 6th in the context of our history, right? We need to be reading about the Reconstruction people, excuse me, the Reconstruction period in the United States. I've said that before, but it's especially important now because the compromises that the government made with our lives and our liberties then are the same kinds of compromises that some politicians are calling for now. History is literally repeating itself Um, And we need to be informed about what happened then so that we can prevent similar things from happening now. We also need to be thinking about radical reconstruction and understanding what it teaches us about allyship. So radical reconstruction was the first period of reconstruction. It was the period right after the U.S. Civil War, and it was really shaped primarily by the Union Army still being in the South. Now, because the Union Army was still in the South, there were a lot of protections in place for Black political engagement. All right? So right now, as we look at attempted attempts to disenfranchise Black voters contemporarily, We need to pay attention to what protected political engagement in radical reconstruction. And that was armed allyship. I think sometimes uh, we are 
too ready to identify someone as an ally. We make it too easy. Like if this white girl can sing, she like black men, she can cook, right? We like her, then we automatically give her the label of ally. And I think that does real allies a disservice and it definitely does us a disservice. Allyship is not really easy. It's not really easy. And I also, while I'm talking about the Union Army and I'm talking about allyship, let me say this because I should have said it from the beginning. It's important to note that the Union Army was not all white. Black people fought for their own freedoms. It's no mistake that we're going to be talking about the Cohambi River Collective and why they chose that river, okay? <laughs> so I just I, I felt the need to go back and say that, that while we need allies, we also have to remember who we are and what we're about. Um, so I just wanted to, to give you that piece of advice that you should be reading about Radical reconstruction, reconstruction as much as possible so that you understand what is happening now. It's not much unlike, it, it's not much unlike, it's not much, yeah, it's not much different. Let me say that. It's not much different than it was then. And we need to be prepared. The other thing I want to talk about is why y'all still walking around like it ain't a whole pandemic outside? I went to Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. To have brunch with a friend of mine at the house, right? Our plan was to have brunch at the house. <laughs> so we went to pick up the food. And when we went to pick up the food, the black restaurant was packed like it ain't a whole pandemic going on. What the hell is wrong with y'all? Uh-uh, okay. I I'm not even going there. I 2020 came to show us something. 2021 says now what you finna do. I don't understand why the answer for what you finna do is return to life as normal, even though the science says life is not normal right now. There is something in there, and maybe we'll talk about this a little bit more on the next episode too. There is something in there that suggests to me we don't fully value our lives yet. I'll just leave it there. I don't have too much to say after that. I didn't put myself in a mood. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. Anywho, so I hope you all are having a wonderful uh, January and that we're getting ready for a beautifully empowering Black History Month. Um, so, yeah, like I said, get on my email list. I've sent out information about the book club, but I'll do it again as a reminder. I will also be sending out information for that group coaching. If you're on Instagram and you click the link in my bio, then you can go ahead and get on the registration list. Spots are limited. I don't want the group to get so big that it becomes a thing. It really needs to be small and intimate so that we can give each other what we need to give each other. All right, y'all, I've enjoyed you. And if you need me in between, don't hesitate to send an email to drtip at tellemtiptoldyou.com. Have a good one, y'all.